You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. It's good to be with you this morning. We are uh, we're continuing and getting near the end of our foundation series, which is our series on doctrine. Uh, what we believe to be true, what God has taught us through Scripture, um, and, uh, and what we adhere to here at Liberty Church. If this is your first week with us, we have uh, a number of sermons going back to the beginning of summer uh, about each point of doctrine that we believe uh, the Word of God tells us is true about who God is and who we are. So I would encourage you to, uh, if you have questions about uh, doctrine or about like what liberty believes, I would encourage you to, to take some time. We have a podcast. Uh, you can catch up with that uh, there. You can also go to thegospelcoalition.org. It's an org. And, uh, and check out their doctrinal confessional statement. That is our doctrinal confessional statement. You can also find that on our website, libertyharrisburg.org. And so we are continuing in that series today. If you, uh, if you have a, a Bible, I'll, uh, I'll give you our page number. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, that's going to be on page 976 in those black hardback Bibles. Uh, you can turn there. And we will be there in just a moment. Um, we are we're having a baptism next week, and I'm really excited about that for a number of reasons. One, uh, it is always a joy and a privilege to uh, talk with people about what God is doing in their lives and has done in their lives. Um, so if that's you, and you've never been baptized, um, let us know like today. Um, that you would be interested in baptism. So I'm excited about that because seeing public professions of faith is always an enjoy, a joy and an encouragement to me. And, um, and specifically, this baptism is going to be extra special. My oldest son, Elijah, is going to be getting baptized. Um, so that's, that's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, you can clap. That's, that's awesome. Like, I'm clapping. Yeah, right? Um, to see what God has done um, is uh, in his life and, and by, by our prayer and supplication we'll do with our other three kids um, is just, it's a, it's a joy as a father to, um, to see God work in his life. Um, and what has come with that has been a lot of questions, right? Uh, a lot of questions have been asked of him and he's asked a lot of questions. Uh, we sit at the dinner table, um, and and kids just they bring up questions, and sometimes uh, random randomly they bring up questions. They ask really interesting questions about God um, and the church, and and who we are. And uh, I remember one time we were driving, and um, and Elijah starts asking about what happens when we die, and he was two and a half years old, and I was like, that's it's a little deep to discuss right now. Um, I think it's bedtime actually. Maybe you should go to sleep, and we can discuss that more. But we've been, we've been really open and honest with our kids uh, about what we believe and why we believe it, even when those discussions are hard. And as we get into our topic today, um, 
this is not as hard of a question as what happens when we die, but uh, it is a joyful topic. We are going to be discussing God's new people this morning, that we are, as Christ's church, God's new people. Our doctrinal confessional statement says this. It says, we believe that God's new covenant people have already come to the heavenly Jerusalem. They are already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. This universal church is manifested in local churches, of which Christ is the only head. Thus, each local church is, in fact, the church, the household of God, the assembly of the living God, and the pillar and foundation of truth. The church is the body of Christ, the apple of his eye, graven on his hands, and he has pledged himself to her forever. The church is distinguished by her gospel message, her sacred ordinances, her discipline, her great mission, and above all, by her love for God and by her members' love for one another and for the world. Crucially, this gospel we cherish has both personally and corporate dimensions, neither of which may properly be overlooked. Christ Jesus is our peace he has not only bought, brought about peace with God, but also peace between alienated peoples. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The church serves as a sign of God's future new world when its members live for the service of one another and their neighbors rather than for self-focus. The church is the corporate dwelling place of God's spirit and the continuing witness to God in the world. This is what we believe the church is. This is who we believe the church is. And so when we get into our text here this morning, we will look closer into um, who we are as the church. But let's pray and, uh, and we'll dig in. Father, by, uh, by grace we gather here this morning. By grace you have bought for yourself a people through the blood of Jesus Christ, a people called out people humbled by what you have done. And so Lord, when we come this morning, let us come with open ears and open eyes to your word. Reveal to us your truth. Give us discernment and wisdom. And it is by your, your beautiful name that we pray this morning. Amen. Look with me now at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We'll read 11 to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 2:11 says this, "Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world." But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so, that ma- so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Praise be to God for his word. There are um, three things about being the church that this passage brings out to us. And so I'd love for us to discuss those today. Those three things are a remembering people, a redeemed people, and a reconciled people. So let's look closely at our first point, a remembering people. In verses 11 and 12, it says this, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. It is, um, it is not common practice today for people to rehash your past right? To think back to hard times. We, we really want to move past those things, right? We want to get past what has happened and, and not look at the old, but look forward to the new. There's probably some really great statement um, that you can put on your wall, uh, motivational poster style to forget the past, look to the future. But this, this idea here, this remembering, this remembering of who we are is is important. This is a theme that we that we see in um, in movies and stories. One one movie that comes to mind is uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Um, yeah, I've seen it. Don't deny it, men. You have too. Sweet Home Alabama is is one of those movies that um, it, it follows. It's a pretty typical line of. Uh, uh, of, of thought that, you know, small town girl moves to big city, gets really, you know, popular and, and, and successful, and, um, but, but needs to go back home to figure some things out. She, she needs to file a divorce before she marries, like, the, the mayor's son who's going to be or supposed to be, like, the next president of the United States. So she's, like, she's got this trajectory, right, in her life that is, that is, onward and upward, right? But she's got to go back home, small town Alabama, to deal with a relationship that she had, she's forgotten about. She's, she's not closed that chapter, but she needs to go back and deal with that. So this, this idea of going back home um, is a theme that we see in this movie and, in, and I think really every other Hallmark movie 
that has ever existed, but that's my opinion. Um, but she goes, yes, thank you. But she goes back home, and in going back home, she's reconnected with her roots. She's reconnected with her history. She remembers who she really is, that she's just some redneck girl from Alabama, right? And we've got one in the back too. That's right, Allison. Right? So she, she goes back. She remembers who she is. She falls back in love, leaves this, this, uh, this future president for the love of her life from her teenage years. Like, so like this, this is the story um, of, of remembering who you are. I think this is an important reminder for us to remember who we are, who we once were, who we were in the flesh. As Paul points out here, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. You were Gentiles. You were uh, apart from the commonwealth of Israel, the, the called out people of God. This word remember is, is in, in the tense of like the always doing, right? Always be remembering. It would be uh, probably more accurately translated in, if it said, therefore, be remembering or always remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were apart from God's grace and God's people. Now, why, why does Paul do this? Why does Paul tell us to to remember these things. Can't we, can't we just move on? No, we need to remember. We need to remember that we were hostile to God. Even when we sang about this morning, you know, we were once your enemies, but now we are seated at your table. We need to remember our history. We need to remember for a couple of reasons. First, we need to remember to keep us humble to keep us humble in the fact that, that we, we, have not, we have not received this grace from the beginning, but it is the special and specific work of Christ in our lives that has redeemed and restored us. It is the work of Christ that has taken us from enemy to son. We, it is not our work. It is nothing that we have done it is not our goodness. And, and this is what happens. is like you start, you start succeeding and things are going well and, and you have advantages like Sweet Home Alabama and you forget who you are. You forget where you've come from. You, you take on this sense of arrogance. And, and, and honestly, if I can be honest about even my own life, my lack of dependence on Christ a lack of dependence on the word of God being the necessity to sustain me and to hold me and to feed me and I rest on my laurels and I think that I can just do it on my own. Like I got this. I've been doing this long enough. I don't, I don't need to do the things that I used to do, right? I don't need to, I don't need to like wake up early and, and study the word of God. Like, I, I, I've got this. And we take this, this arrogance, and so we need to be reminded to keep us humble, to remind us that, that we were far off, that we were hostile to God, but it is by God's grace that has brought us near. He even goes, like, this is, 
this is a line of thought that Paul has had in the beginning of chapter 2. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of our own works, that no man may boast, that we may not have a boastful sense. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember because we also need to give the honor and glory to the one who has done this work. Not, not me, not you. You have not done this work. You, you have not even grown yourself. You have not sanctified yourself. You have not glorified yourself. This is not your work that has even gotten you from the beginning to to further down the road. It is the grace of God by the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that has done this for you. So we need to give honor and glory and praise to the one who has done this. And so we remember, we remember what God has done. Sometimes we need physical reminders. We need things to remind us to remember. The Israelites did this. If you remember back in the book of Joshua, as the Israelites come over the Jordan River, God, it stops the river. Right? And we, you, you can look at pictures of the Jordan River these days and, and see parts of the Jordan River that it's not so much rivery as much of it's more like a creek, right? Or a crook, right? You're like, that's, I can jump over that. So what's the big deal about God stopping the water? And then you go a little bit further north um, to where the Israelites would cross over, and we're talking like, like rapids. Now you'd get washed away. This is, this, is a, this is an intense part of the river, and God stopped the water from flowing. And the Ark of the Covenant crosses over on dry land. Joshua stops and he says, gather 12 stones and stack them up as a remembrance that everyone who comes by here sees these stones will remember God's faithfulness to his people that he stopped the water and the ark covered, uh, crossed the river on dry land. Sometimes we need physical reminders in our lives to remember the faithfulness of God. What, what is that thing for you? What do you need to set up as a reminder there are, there are many things. People, people go from anywhere from uh, setting up a, a verse on the dash of their car to, to tattooing their body as a reminder, as a remembrance to what God has done, his faithfulness. To God, God is faithful. And from generation to generation, we need to be reminded. We come here this morning to be reminded that God is faithful to his people. Regardless of how things feel, he is faithful. The Israelites did not go without wars, did not go without um, battles into the promised land. That does not mean that God was not faithful to them. So God is faithful. Remember God's faithfulness to you. Remember where you come from and what God has brought you through. And you may be in the middle of some of that difficulty right now. You may be in the middle of that where you're wondering where God's faithfulness is. Friend, let me remind you of what God has done for you. 
He has taken you out of the pit. And he has brought you onto dry land. And he has given you a new name. He has given you a new identity. He has given you his spirit. And let me remind you that this is the work of God on your behalf. And in the midst of this trial and in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this life, he will be faithful. He will be faithful. This is the word of God. This is the promise of God. As difficult as this life will be, there will be a day where the difficulties disappear, where the pain disappears, where the tears disappear, and we will be with him in glory. Remember what God has done. Remember. Secondly, what God has done is he has redeemed his people. Look at with me in verse 13. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. But now... Paul does not let us sit too much in the remembering. He calls us to remember, but he does remind us quickly after that remembering. But now, the new reality, the new reality of our lives, of our soul, of our stance before God is not enemies, but it is sons. Paul is not slow to this, to, to remind us that, that our identity is not in the brokenness, it is not in the death that was once our name, but it is now in Christ Jesus and in Christ alone. When, when the Father sees us, he sees Christ. We have a new name, we have a new identity, and this is ours in Christ Jesus. You have been brought near those who were once far off have been brought near. You did not come near, but God has brought you near. He's given you access. Access that, that no one else could have. No one else could get. No one else could manifest in their own lives and in their own effort. God has brought you near. He's given you access. This is not a manipulation. We did not sneak in. You may remember in, in uh, 2009, there was, a, there was a couple, Mr. and Mrs. Salahi, right, attended a White House event. Every White House event that happens, as we would assume, is, is filled with political and social elites and is by nature uh, covered in security. Multiple steps of getting in, multiple screenings, your name must be on the list. You, you see the uh, secret service agents, military personnel, all right, to get in to, to hang out with the president and staff. The Salahi's visit uh, was unique, though. Very simply put, they were not invited. They were not on the list. And yet, they have pictures with everybody there. They made it into that event. They snuck in. They, 
they got through security. These, these people who wanted to be on a reality TV show crashed one of the most secure parties in the world, which is, which is a feat. Like, that's it's kind of impressive, a little scary, and in the Secret Service afterwards had to issue an, an apology saying, we messed up, and we can't do that again. And so, like, this party crashing is not what we have with God. We did not crash the party. We don't accidentally find ourselves in the presence and in the family of God. No, we have been brought near. We have the personal invitation. We have been walked in by the blood of Christ into the family of God. We were taken in as children. My, my kids have... Um, access. They have access to me in ways that no one else in this entire world will have access. When I'm sitting in my office at home and my kids come in, we have a rule. I don't have a door on my office because I don't know how to hang doors yet. I haven't watched enough YouTube and I just haven't bought one. Um, But like there's a rule that when dad's home during the week, and he's in his office, you don't go in there. It's a good rule. It's a healthy rule. I like that rule. All right? I put on headphones just in case they can't see the fact that I'm sitting in front of a computer working. Right? Um, but I have, I have a seven, five, three-year-old and a five-month-old. And when my kids come in, I don't turn them away harshly too many times. especially when they come up and they need me. My kids have access. They have access to me at any time of the day, even when we should be sleeping. They have access. They can come into our room and get me if they need me. And we have access. We have been brought near. We've been brought near. Christ has brought us near in in a way that we did not have access. We have been brought near by the work of Christ, by grace, through faith. And in so, in the bringing near, he brings near to him people who were far off and those who were close. And he destroys, it says here, he's broken down in his flesh, in Christ's flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility between us and God, but also between us and others. This dividing wall would, if, if, if you were a, a Jewish reader of this, or you'd been familiar with uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, there were many uh, layers of access to get to the Holy of Holies in the middle of the Temple Mount. The first century Herodian temple where the Jews worshipped, there were a series of courts, right? And they're separated by these gated walls. Each court moved progressively closer, like I said, in to the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where uh, the presence of God was represented to be with God's people. The first gate was the gate of the Gentiles, and you could walk around in that court if you were a God-fearing Gentile. If you were a Jewish woman who was ceremonially clean, according to Jewish law, you could enter into the next gate. 
and go into an inner court. Beyond that lay the gate to the innermost court where only Jewish men who were ceremonially clean could go without fear of death. And here's the cool thing. Several years ago, archaeologists found an inscription um, in the wall on the outmost court that said this. It read, Whoever is captured past this point will have himself to blame for, this, for his subsequent death. That's an intense sign. But it gives us a picture of this hostility of the wall and separation between people based off of who they were. And yet we see here in Ephesians chapter 2 that Christ has broken down this wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. This wall of hostility is broken down not just physically, but in, in Christ's body is where that is broken down. In the work of Jesus Christ, he has broken down this wall. This wall between us and God and this wall between each other. That There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. No, we all have access to God because of the work of Christ. This is the identity of the church. But yet, we set up walls. We set up walls in our hearts and minds against brothers and sisters in Christ. We set up walls because of prejudice. We set up walls because of geography. We set up walls because of socioeconomic status. We set these walls up. We set up walls because of race. We look at people and we make judgments of who they are by physical appearances. Growing up in Florida, which is like the, the deepest south you can technically get, but really it's kind of like a not-so-south, um, there was still, and I'll, I'll give you a quick little Florida geography thing, um, it is... Um, the coastline of Florida looks like a lot of cities up north. But on the inside, the, the inner parts of Florida, it looks like the deep south. And so um, growing up in Florida, um, racism was prevalent in our cities, prevalent in, the, in the, the makeup of where people lived in our cities, who people worshiped with, people at school who gathered together some of the only places where you saw people of different races getting along were on sports fields. And part of that bleeds into the culture of, of those who, who are raised in those environments. They don't know why they don't like someone. They just know that they don't like them. And they're not supposed to like them. And so this deep-seated hatred for other people exists. And if we don't think that it exists, if you don't believe that it exists, friends, let me tell you, as someone who has seen it firsthand, it exists. It exists in places that you would think that it didn't exist. It exists in a day that you wouldn't hope that it exists. 
These things, these realities of, of dividing walls are real and they are tangible and they affect the hearts and the minds of men. And yet in Christ, the dividing wall of hostility is broken down. So those who are in Christ need to break down the dividing walls of hostility in their own minds. And that is only accomplished by the work and power of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So whatever you, whatever you deal with, wherever your heart says there are dividing walls, you, by the grace of God, need right now and today to deal with that. Because in Christ, when we go and worship him, and, and I'm, I might ruin some of y'all's like, perceptions here for a moment, but Jesus doesn't look like me. He doesn't look like the majority of us. He's a Middle Eastern man. And when we worship him, some people are going to be really surprised to see him. But we should not be surprised that this man did what he did. And he is our Lord and Savior, regardless of his physical appearance. He is who he is. And so whatever, wherever those dividing walls are for us, may God break those things down. That we can embrace the people around us who are brothers and sisters in Christ and who aren't brothers and sisters in Christ and love them and accept them because Christ has loved them and accepted them. This breaking down of this dividing wall um, is so critical to the gospel and what the gospel accomplishes on our behalf. Herman Bahavink says this, this is the, the, the work of the breaking down of the dividing wall of hostility, this is the economics of reconciliation. That is the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant and inauguration of the new freedom from the law. The cancellation of the bond with its legal demands and the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles and all binary opposites into unity in Christ. What Christ accomplished here has implications globally and historically for the church. So we are a remembering people, we are a redeemed people, and we are a reconciled people. Look with me in verse 16. And in abolishing the law and commandments, he creates a new man and says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This work of removing the hostility between us, between us and each other, and between us and God is done through the work of Christ on the cross the relationship that was broken between us and God in Genesis 3 has been restored and reconciled in the work of Christ. 
And in verse 17, he goes on, he says, and he comes to preach peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. This, this peace is, is best identified in the parable um, of the prodigal son. And this is a picture of, of many of us in the room. We will fall into one of the two brothers' categories. The prodigal who goes off and has rejected the father and has lived his life in a way that is to his own detriment. Or we fall into the category of the son who stays and yet still has just as much animosity towards the father and thinks he has rights and privileges because he stayed and he was near. We are one of those two. I find myself in, in, in the category of the, of the one who stayed, where I think that all of these things should be mine because of my obedience and my work and me sticking around and me working hard for, for Christ's church. And sometimes seeing the other brother run off, it brings up anger and disdain because they receive the same grace that I've received, and yet look at my work, and look at their work. Those who were far off, the Gentiles, those who did not know God, those who worshiped other gods, those who in our world today are, are apart from us, the people who have moved here from other countries, who have other gods, yet hear the gospel and respond in ways that are, that are God-glorifying and God-redeeming and, and gospel-centered, and yet, sometimes we can, again, put up the dividing walls of hostility. He has brought both near. The grace that was necessary for the brother who stayed is the same grace that was necessary for the brother who ran off. And it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not our works. And both have been given access to the Father through the Spirit. We are no longer enemies, but we are family. We are family. We are family that, as Mal said earlier, we struggle with each other. We disagree with each other. Sometimes we don't like each other, but we're family, and that's what family does. We talk things out, though. We work things out. We don't let things sit and simmer. We don't let, we don't let our, 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 our anger go down with the sun. But we resolve things which is why we have a time of passing the peace and we call each other to reconcile with one another. We need to do that so that no dividing walls can be put up. We are a family. We are a family that is not just local. As verse 20 will tell us, this, this family is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So this is a historical family. This is a global family. This is a family that has all reaches to the ends of the earth and will, by God's grace, be in every tribe and tongue and nation. Every tribe, tongue, and nation in Revelation is represented singing God's praises. And so we pray for that day and we send out missionaries to accomplish that goal that every tribe, tongue, and nation would sing of God's redeeming grace. Christianity is not a modern idea. It's not a modern take on things. We do things because we've been doing them for thousands of years. So I would encourage you uh, each and all to dig deep, dig deep into the history that is yours in Christ. 
the apostles, the prophets, the theologians that have come before us. We know doctrine is important, and doctrine does divide. It divides the truth from a lie, which is the same reason why in 325 A.D., Santa Claus punched Arius in the face over the issue of doctrine. And if you don't know about it, St. Nicholas was a real guy, and it could, it's, it could have been a closed-handed slap or a slap. History is not so clear on that. But over the issue of Christ's divinity and the Trinity, uh, there were some serious conversations, some distinct arguments that caused people to get rejected from the church because of their, uh, their bad doctrine. Doctrine is important. And we have a history that tells us and clarifies doctrine for us. So I would encourage you to, to dig deep into the treasure trove that is available for us to know and appreciate and discover. Sometimes some of the questions that we have, some of the struggles that we have are not unique, but have been hashed out for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We have a history, we have a legacy, and we have a grace that is ours. Because with the church, we are the dwelling place of God here on earth. And it's not in a temple, but it is in these living stones of you and I that we may know Christ. And far be it from us to be stones that don't live and don't move, but find ourselves in people's houses who do not know Christ and into neighborhoods and businesses that we may bring the light of God, the hope of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. This is the mission of the church. This is what we were saved for. May we be a people who do not sit and soak, but go and give the grace that is not ours to other people. This is the church. We are remembering people we are a redeemed people. We are a reconciled people. Let's pray. Lord, you are gracious to your people in ways that we need to remember, to recount. You've redeemed us. You have restored us. You have reconciled us to yourself. And Lord, even as we come now, let us remember these things. Let us remember your faithfulness from, from us to a thousand generations. May we recall and proclaim your faithfulness to your people. Father, we give you all the honor and glory and praise. And it is in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.